Hello and welcome to Oh Buddy. Oh Buddy. And uh, I'm here with the buddy once again. Um quick note that I want to say is uh we didn't manage to release an episode um last Monday um because we had some some uh, some issues on our end we weren't able to actually get around to recording an episode so we apologize for people who might have been expecting us to to have an out for for last monday but here you are um we have one for this monday and uh, this is probably going to be the penultimate episode for what we're thinking of calling the first season so um after this episode that you're listening to we're going to have one more and and then and then probably wrap up for a season uh so that's that's the first note that i have to say the second thing that i want to say is just a other short housekeeping kind of thing for the previous episode that we recorded i had mentioned that there was this youtuber who does stuff with puppets and voice over over the puppets uh mm-hmm. i f- remember the name of the youtuber his name is barnaby dixon and the name of the bird puppet that he has is dab chick that's the name of his mm-hmm. puppet um and another thing was that i said that alan moore uh was the writer of the thing but the thing was a 1987 horror flick it wasn't uh, the thing that i wanted to talk about i was referring to swamp thing which is a comic from the 70s and the 80s uh unfortunately got them mixed up but yeah that's a bit of housekeeping do you have anything you want to say before we get started yeah on my end i think just because uh, i don't think a lot of people outside even the state of iowa in the us know about this and this is also part of the reason why we didn't end up recording um last week is because something called a derecho it's a really high speed wind um combined with kind of thunderstorms um ravaged uh a, a pretty major part of central iowa and um some other parts of iowa to the extent that a lot of crops have been damaged um and you know grain bins have been crumbled and that kind of stuff and so um in our county um grinnell was one of the hardest hit um and so we we didn't have power for a week um trees were just getting cleared out of my yard today um there is still no power for a pretty good chunk of the town population as well and so this has been something that's um pretty unprecedented in the first place and also pretty devastating in the second um it's taken a lot of people by surprise um and if people who are listening feel like donating you can donate to mid iowa a community action um who do a lot of poverty relief programs and we have a pretty significant um poor population at grinnell um who i think can definitely use um the aid yeah that's great thanks for shouting that out um uh, so i mean to give some context um sak was basically out on a camping trip uh somewhere in um minnesota and in wisconsin and he basically decided to postpone his trip for an extra day and that kind of and plus all of the other reasons that he listed was part of the reason why we had to reconsider recording for that week and and push it to one more week ahead uh with that being said um i think we can get started with this week's podcast yeah Are you ready yeah what's up buddy um so we've actually when i say we i mean me and amma and appa our parents uh we've had two um 
rounds of uh, get togethers with uh, our cousin Akshay's family so they came over once uh, and we've gone over to their place uh, once over the past two weekends so and they're going to be coming over the the coming weekend as well mm-hmm. which by the time this podcast records would be the previous weekend so i've had a lot of interaction with their kids more than i normally would um and especially since the the younger one the boy dwaj has also grown up kind of mm-hmm. and my interaction with them and playing with um playing with them and and stuff uh, especially when they came over to our house with toys and stuff started making me think about um the the things the toys the games etc that we played as kids uh just as a general kind of fun retrospective and nostalgia into our childhoods but also um what the role of toys is in terms of shaping and developing a young child's mind uh in terms of providing structure helping them with um i guess tactile skills or or even expressing and exploring their own creative urges or the other things that toys um can help do besides being something of a distraction uh for children uh i want to say here that i want to talk i'm going to be talking about some of the toys and playthings that we've had uh but i'm also going to be exploring into games which i think of as slightly different than than toys mm. because of the nature of games so to start with toys uh i think some of the earliest toys that we probably had were were not necessarily um meant to be doing anything in the first place so for example we had train sets mm-hmm. uh we had sort of blocks uh and we also had a lot of we had the whole bob the builder playset which is um we had all of the five um machinery toys that were part of the set as well as um bob and wendy and spud the scarecrow mm-hmm. and the bird and the cats and everything and yeah. so we had that and we also had um lala and po from teletubbies we had sort of plush doll kind of things and i remember when we were living back in pune we had a larger set of plush toys and stuff which i think by the time we grew up and came to navi mumbai uh we got rid of most of them mm-hmm. but the initial stages were mostly i think trying to play with objects that were inanimate but were helping us to believe that they were animate in a way yeah. to play with things in that sense and that kind of playing is where you get to have a sort of free reign of imagination and and think up of worlds i mean even with train sets i think and we'll probably come to this later train sets are just things that go round and round on a track or whatever but because they're mechanical in the sense that they are driven by hand even though we did have a motored one um you can really do whatever you want with the train set and think or imagine what the people in the train are doing or or whatever i mean there are infinite possibilities for these kind of toys where and you can even do things like configure different sets and groups of toys with each other yeah in a way similar to let's say the way that Andy does in Toy Story mm-hmm. uh and you come up with characters and stuff so i wanted to know your thoughts on on this kind of playing where you have uh, a sandbox open sandbox basically to do what you want with a collection of of figures and and pieces um yeah i think uh, it's also important i want to talk from the angle of just starting with parenting and how being told what a toy is for can have 
a significant impact on how you use it especially as a child mm-hmm. because authority mm-hmm. has a really potent role in that relationship and um in a child's actions and so um i think we're pretty lucky in that the way in which we acquired most of our toys obviously was also pretty um haphazard um i remember some of them were happy meal toys we got some teenage mutant ninja turtle toys from friends mm-hmm. um to complete our collection of all four of them and then we got some surfs up toys and so there were all this there's this weird amalgam of sources that kind of led to um how we built them but also our parents uh, mostly left us to do our own thing um as we kind of accumulated these toys and so that helped us i think um construct these narratives and build these worlds by having all these toys kind of crossover and i don't know um i mean i can imagine a world where we were told that hey these toys belong together put them back together um mm-hmm. where this kind of thing would have never happened and i think uh i remember even in i think something like the 7th or 8th grade uh we remember uh, we did this thing where we i i kind of was this game master and then you and raj were the players um and it was kind of this strange uh game where you would have different tasks and then we used monopoly money mm-hmm. and it was kind of my just our collective imagination of what this world is like and so you can do these tasks and i yeah. would say it's kind of a little bit like that whose line is it anyway it was pretty arbitrary how much money you would earn or um yeah. what the rewards were but then it was an open world simulation kind of thing where yeah. i guess the game was kind of modeled on something like sims or even grand theft auto or whatever yeah. where it's an open world and you can do whatever you want and you can get to set tasks and objectives and there will be rewards or money involved yeah um and i think in some ways that's a very good thing um to be able to make up your own social rules unpoliced but um it's some ways it's a bad thing because i want to go off on a tangent here for a little bit and talk about how that maybe had a weird real world implication for me um when i was made to do this kind of presentation in school and um this was kind of i was just supposed to a- present myself as a vendor of something and just kind of talk through the pricing of different products that i had and i was supposed to be a grocery store guy or something <laughs> so i took a bunch of stuff from home including kind of papad which is like a snack um milk made which is kind of condensed milk um etc you know chocolate I, as well yeah chocolate stuff that grocers would usually have and a weighing scale just to make it look more authentic we used to have these things during our parent teacher conferences um and so i ended up taking this imaginative self of my of of this playing world into that role and i ended up playing this grocer the problem was i had never actually been shopping and we weren't using monopoly money um and so i ended up weighing or i ended up charging parents for my products first of all i wasn't supposed to be selling anything i just got really carried away and i ended up <laughs> selling things at the price at which it weighed so i would weigh it on that scale which was already broken to begin with and so whatever it weighed at i'd be like this is the price um unfortunately for me the product uh, the stuff that we had was were really expensive things that didn't weigh that much and these parents didn't give two shits they were like okay we're duping this kid we don't have to tell him we'll just check a couple of times and i was kind of surprised cuz people would be like are you sure are you sure you're uh, you're selling it at this much cuz uh, i don't know 
and i was like i wish you had told me there is such a thing as an mrp at that point you know one of those many parents that kind of stole all this stuff effectively from us mm. um because i remember coming home and you were just um really upset <laughs> you were so upset at me uh, when i came home <laughs> you were like sak you're so stupid um i can't remember any of <laughs> you this you were really but... upset you loved milk made <laughs> and i went and i sold milk made for something like 30 rupees and it costs 150 or something like that um and you were just like sak how could you um but and and the mordie chocolate that's also the other thing that i sold that you were really upset oh because that's God. what we used yes. to make brownies and so brownies um, because that it's not even actual chocolate so to give context mordie is like dark compound so that's what you used to melt to make baking uh, chocolate it's it's what you would use to bake chocolate uh, cakes or brownies or whatever it's not actual chocolate to be eaten but i was still pissed off because i would love making cakes and brownies so but yeah that i that i mean that's the part of i think the world of playing and i'm I, in some ways i'm grateful i'm grateful that i was able to retain so much of my imagination into such a um you know through my maturity into adolescence because i don't think that's something everybody has i think so often as mm-hmm. children we begin to start being told that this is the right way to do something and that is the wrong way to do something and i remember feeling a lot of shame yeah. and embarrassment when i came home but uh, amma was very jovial about it she was like okay these things happen now you've learned what an mrp is but that was a fun experience and i think thinking about it in that way makes me feel better now because i would never make such a mistake in air quotes again but it, it's still so interesting to think about what inspired that and i think so much of this playing around with toys and building our own worlds and making up our own social rules um and that kind of stuff is what led me to act in such a way um yeah and so i guess that kind so, of addresses what you were talking yeah, about yeah i what the anecdote that i want to give to sort of continue with this theme of open world complete free range of creativity was um when we lived in pune there was this wall that our parents had given us for most of our childhood where they would they had relegated that wall for any amount of scribbling so they said you're allowed to scribble but only on this wall and we scribbled painted crayoned color <laughs> pencils whatever we wanted on that wall uh and i actually i mean it's interesting cuz i don't know if this is a conversation we had with them or if this is a realization i had after the fact but our initial drawings were never um objects or complete uh imaginations of things but as we grew older we started to develop a structure and try to draw a, like a house mm-hmm. or a sun with mm-hmm. mountains and things like that so instead of becoming completely random stuff it started to gather and become more structured and this is the kind of thing that i want to transition towards where um our playing and our our toy uh, time or whatever it is play time started to become more organized instead of chaotic uh and a lot of this began to involve more motor skills or analytical skills and things like that so uh a couple of the examples at least in my personal experience one is jigsaw puzzles uh i've loved doing oh, jigsaw yeah. puzzles for the longest time it's been it's been quite a while since i've done them i don't think puzzles are traditionally thought of as toys and also i think a lot of people and i realized this later that um at least in the united states where jigsaw puzzling uh, maybe even europe uh, it's thought of as a group, group activity, activity where people will yeah. get together do a jigsaw puzzle in an afternoon I have always treated it as a solitary activity that I would do over a couple of weeks or months or or even longer or something depending on the size of the puzzle. 
because I've done 1,000, 2,000 piece puzzles over long periods of time as well. But there is a sort of Zen mode that you can get into just listening to music and, and doing the puzzle that I enjoyed getting engrossed in that specific activity. But again, I want to draw the distinction between the kind of playing that we did when we were younger versus when we started to get right. older, um, which was, um, I'm going to put it this way, it was more structured, ob- objective-oriented, mm-hmm. as if there was a specific goal, exactly. um, an analytical style of play. So yeah. connects, the first example I want to talk about is like connects. Yeah. Exactly. Which, by the way, I didn't know it was Connect. I always thought it was KNX. But uh, Tess is the one who pointed it out to you, apparently, yeah. that it's Connect. Uh, which, which I mean, that, that's a now. weird thing. Because it, this is another weird thing, right? I think our, our mother had gone to the United States on a business trip and come back with Connect as a toy. So it's one of those toys, or I guess, uh, model building set kind of things that only we had, and most other people we knew didn't have at all because it was American mm-hmm. and at best people think it would have things that were more common like board games but connects is a very niche thing for I think children growing up in India to have even amongst the social circles that we had uh, so that was one and I, I want to give this story so connects basically was you have a specific model you have different pieces that have different orientations and you put them together in a specific order with those instructions step by step to build the model and then you complete it um, I became very obsessed about how efficiently and how quickly you could do the model building process. And I used to think of it as this is the task, I need to complete the task, there is structure and there is a delimitation of what the objective is. Right. I remember when we had met Archit and Aditya and especially Aditya who is the elder of the two, mm-hmm. um, his perspective on this was completely different. He said there is no rules about this, these rules have been imposed by you. You can build whatever you want. Yeah. And he started to build his own sort of vehicle or a motor-based, um, m- you know, mobile object, mm-hmm. let's call it, out of that. And that was his plan. And, you know, he had sort of an engineering mind or whatever it was. But the point is that um, I had always seen it as an objective-based thing and I was very closed about structure. And funnily enough, this is something that also I think has more to do with my predisposition than with anything else or my parents sort of influence or authority because this is a contrast between me and you and I can say that let's even comparing the way we've approached music and our musical learning for me when it comes to music and musical learning it's always been about I have a musical piece I have to learn to read and practice the notes I practice till I get it perfect section by section and then once I've completed the piece and I've played it up to speed with all of the phrasing correctly I'm done with it and move on to the next thing and this was very similar to say a KNX model, right? And right, I remember how you would kind of make your thing, and I mean, the most of the allure of making a KNX puzzle or even a uh, you know a jigsaw puzzle would be for you the process of doing it, you know. And once you were there, once it was done, you really didn't give um, that much you know credence to the fact that it was done. And I, for me, it was like, oh, I made this thing. Now I have to play with it. Now I have to kind mm-hmm. of keep playing with it. And then you'd be like, Sark, let's tear it apart and make the next thing. Um, yes, exactly. And I think this difference in our approaches and styles is very important, especially because we're very, we're like what, 18 months apart mm-hmm. and we've grown up in the same household with very little time separated from each other. Yeah. Uh, which basically means that we've basically had the same influences uh, for the most part. So there must be something that's just, I'm wired slightly different than you are. We've had some experiences that have 
that have marked us in a way that have changed our perspective on on these kind of things. Now, I want to talk about some more of these interesting kind of structured, objective-oriented things that we played with together. The Rubik's Cube is something that comes to mind. Yeah, I just actually, uh, fun we, fact, um, Tess has a Rubik's Cube and I just solved hers a couple of days ago and I was surprised at myself, but um, that the stuff that we kind of learned, I mean, I yeah. remember full reef fleet of... Like we just kind of made these like um, little yeah. mnemonics and remembered them. Um, I was kind of saying it out loud as I was solving the cube, and I kept getting frustrated because I had gotten the mnemonic wrong. But then um, I finally figured it out, and that was very surprising, really validating. But it harkened me back to exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, you actually worked at it harder than I did. So I also started to do the Rubik's cube again, and then when I went to uh, Akshay's house, who's our cousin brother's house, I solved his Rubik's Cube as well, oh, but nice. after having practiced on our own. But I cheated. I basically went up and looked up the last, the 8th and ninth algorithms oh, huh. to remember how to do it. So actually the last three algorithms I had to relearn. Wait, what were they? Completely... Um, R-I-F, so R-I-B-B, R-I-B-B, Exactly. So that yeah. is, that's, that's the 8th uh, one. The ninth one is the one where you have one side uh, on the third layer finished and then you have three boxes left mm-hmm. uh, and I think that's the last one right which is that uh, uh, F twice U full reef L- roof yeah uh, L-I-R-I yeah, yeah, yeah. twice and see even with this one I, I memorized it more by the physical um, element of it and not with a mnemonic device I, I began to memorize it by visualizing and using my the memory of touch rather than the memory yeah. of the words itself uh, with the Rubik's Cube. So that was another thing that I was... It's <laughs> actually <laughs> funny that you've also solved the Rubik's Cube recently. Yeah. Um, more interestingly, there were also things like Loculus or, or you know, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. other puzzle games like this that we did play. I want to go to games now to slightly pivot. Um, oh, wait, I want to... Before you go to games, I want to yeah. offer another example of a, a kind of a an in-between both in terms of chronological as well as kind of this dichotomy of um, planned no rules versus very specific goal-oriented approach and I think we feel mm-hmm. like it's worth talking about football wall smash um, which... I was just about to talk about football <laughs> wall smash yeah I had it written down yeah um, and that kind of is just one of those things where we created the rules and we acknowledged mm-hmm. that these rules are temporary you know they're they're meant to fulfill a certain goal but even a goal we're setting ourselves um and so it's liable to change constantly and so this process of iteration adaptation updation um and but still kind of confirmation within a goal that kind of stuff was very interesting um but if you want to explain the game go ahead this is a, a like a building a bridge between a completely open and creative format but again, I see this as our tendency of taking something which is as simple as a wall and a football and bringing to it structure, rules and things, of course, through iteration. Right. But we're beginning to become very analytical and objective oriented, even with things that are just open as a wall and a ball. I mean, I remember after many iterations, we had to come up with rules about the fact that you must start on a line closer to the wall than the person who will be first receiving the the ball after it right. has been hit against the wall. Or that uh, you have to hit the wall, the ball back to the wall within two bounces uh, yeah. of it coming back from the wall and things like this. So 
again i feel like as we grew older at least this is my experience i don't i think you were definitely different in this regard um this the structure and, and analytical or objective oriented way of doing things became more and more prevalent and i see that as a very very clear way uh of the way that i continue to do things mm-hmm. i think it's very important for me to function as a person and that's why i'm talking about this i think it's important to talk yeah. about the toys and things we played with to give context about who i am the way i think about the sure. world now because i prefer to know what the rules of the game are what the la- boundary lines of what i am playing at and then to be able to perfect and master whatever it is right so this is why for example card games are so much fun to me or competitive games in general i mean when we're younger i think competitive games are perhaps not always there but as we grow older i think competitive games become important especially as we build our own identity and self esteem becomes an important part of our own identity right because you want to have uh, there is a reward or there is a, a punishment of loss mm-hmm. or whatever it is and i think that's why a, you know this yeah a goal oriented thing becomes can become competitive when it is a game that sets it up in a way like that so you could think of things like monopoly for example uh, or even hearts as a game that we've played many times mm-hmm. um where the role is never or rather rarely collaborative compared to maybe right. something like cluedo where cluedo is always somewhat collaborative yeah. while still playing with yourself yeah or, you know by yourself yeah yeah i i agree i also want to talk about i mean i think the a similar example to football wall smash and perhaps something that will shed more light on what you're talking about is how we um it, as we were kind of going through adolescence ended up designing rules around even something as um strange as just physical fights right um and mm-hmm. this is something i mean as two boys who grew up with a very small window of um years between us um this is kind of natural there was a phase where we would be get we would be getting physically kind of violent and stuff and we would kind of have tiffs and fights and stuff and we would wrestle each other um but and this mm-hmm. i think was born more out of necessity and empathy in a weird way um yeah. and just the concern for each other's well-being that we ended up deciding a set of rules around how we would go about it so here is kind of what you're allowed to do here is what you're not allowed to do and within these confines somebody can be considered the victor yeah and actually in a lot of medieval or even ancient war like uh, when people used to have battles and chivalry the word chivalry is used for those kind yeah. of battles and honor to the kind yeah. of and honor you have a certain code for example you're not going to uh, hit someone or or attack someone who is not able to defend themselves right and dawn uh, and dust that's exactly you you're only going to fight when uh, it's the time to fight and then when the day is over you decide to retreat and you won't attack each other's camps mm-hmm. like that this is actually bringing me back to the game of war that we had invented which was basically involved chucking uh, our assortment <laughs> of toys at each other from either side of the bed and this i think this game probably caused more damage to our room and each other than maybe some of our physical fights as well so yeah. that might be a bit of an exaggeration yeah uh i i i think we use a lot of soft toys to throw at each other but uh, we had shuriken which is basically <laughs> plastic 
<laughs> pieces that we used to chuck at each other at uh, you know relatively high speed so i mean war is another thing that i remember we didn't really come up with rules for it was a very random game mm-hmm. but again i i like the fact that you pointed out that it's that some of these rules are born out of necessity and out of respect or even empathy mm-hmm. uh, and you recognize that sometimes rules are important in the way that you maybe realize for your own example of selling and playing as uh, the the shop <laughs> yeah. or the the grocery vendor yeah. maybe there should be some rules that make sure that you're not exploited as a seller exactly. <laughs> and that you know yeah. and people I, don't uh, buy stuff cheap from you yeah and i i mean the, i think that the importance as well is the the realization that a game is a game and reality is very different you can't um, i think the to to be aware of where the line is is really important is what i learned from that i learned that at the end the adults who took advantage of me were at fault right i knew i knew i didn't know better you know they um, did and they knew yeah better. and they knew better and they still kind of went along with it they should have broken my kind of naivete and been like hey dude you're just being stupid nothing sells for this cheap there's something called an mrp and in india products have the price on them you know they should have just been like take a look at the thing it will say how much it's cost it costs you know that's not true in america in america they don't have a concept of retail price um, that's printed on the product so it's it's harder mm. probably it would have been if i was here but i mean i don't know so that i think that bridge the gap to bridge the gap between um reality and um what is more imaginative is the process that we were going through as we were growing up and is why mm-hmm. i think it was important for us to kind of develop rules and parameters and um kind of a this kind of structure because eventually we're going to enter um and survive within structures so we need to learn how to navigate them yeah uh my final point would be just talking about how this sort of evolution of complete freedom and creativity towards a more narrow analytical approach towards things um i think this analytical thing has definitely helped us and helped me at least in academia and in in studying and and doing things but i think what i lack is what you have more than i do at least which is uh no fear or inhibitions about doing things uh, regardless of how it turns out mm. and an ability to look at things without boundaries or rules that exist and have a free flow of creativity uh and i think that's important especially when it comes to artistic or creative pursuits uh of course i think even in these things sometimes structure and objectives and goals are always helpful to keep building and growing better yeah. but i think most artistic people would attest to the fact that um not imposing too much structure or rules is what allows them to thrive the most yeah i i agree i'm very grateful that and i think that the the reason that i think in this way is also due to the way that we played games and stuff because for me it was important to kind of understand the structure in order to change it or in order to subvert it um or yeah. go around it and i and i'm slowly growing more and more comfortable with the fact that it's important to do what you do um so that i can be better at kind of thwarting structures and in, in a way that's not hurting others and is benefiting me you know because once you understand a structure intimately enough you're able to point you're able to point out what are the fallacies in it and stuff um and i think that at least going to a college that's so social justice uh, minded and being part of a generation that is um so social justice minded where everybody talks about structures and institutions and that kind of stuff um it it's been really helpful i think to have the kind of 
thinking that the both of us share where i'm viewing things within a structure and then trying to get around them that's definitely true when it comes to music and that kind of stuff i still have a lot of growth to do in terms of understanding structures in the first place um and hopefully i'll continue to educate myself but then even i think when i was um in student government there were a lot of processes that just didn't make sense but it took at least 6 to 8 months of being part of them and operating within them to understand how to criticize them effectively and to say mm-hmm. these one hour long meetings don't make sense to like especially if you're spending yeah. the first 15 minutes catching up about everyone's day and the last 10 minutes signing off um you know that kind of stuff um so yeah i think like you said uh, there is a balance to be found between understanding and acknowledging the structures that exist while also in some way having a small defiance against them by by questioning them and having a more open attitude mm-hmm. um towards uh, towards the status quo in some way so so yeah um that concludes my topic for the week oh really what quickly you, i want to shout out um the fact that the our logo has lala and po on it um the logo for the podcast um and lala and po are probably our, our first toys ever um that were given to us by our parents and was actually given to me by srivatsan when i was born um and they are kind of soft toys from the teletubby show that we used to watch as children um <laughs> yeah anyway what uh, actually my topic is a really cool segue i think in some ways from this into now who we are um and i wanted to talk about uh, to start with talking about productivity and how we envision it right um hmm. and that has so much to do with how we're looking at structures rules and goals more specifically um hmm. as well as how we use our time because i've been spending a lot of time thinking about this um and especially i think going through school and college a lot of these things are very clearly defined um what it means to be productive and what it means to not be productive but once you get into either a creative pursuit in the way that i um have tried to do with writing music um or like you be part of an internship um or job environment those notions suddenly kind of undergo this drastic change um and there's a shock to the system and so i wanted to talk about um at least as you are currently in that position in your internship and we were just discussing how you're spending your time during the week and that kind of stuff i wanted to ask mm. you what your thoughts are on productivity um and what first of all do you think features in your definition of productivity so what do you consider as a productive use mm. of your time i <laughs> this is very interesting because my thinking about this has changed more recently since i've become more than ever very very wrapped up in my work mm-hmm. and have embraced some of the workaholic mm. tendencies that i definitely see in you and in both of my parents but i never saw in myself before uh-huh. uh because i only saw obsessive uh tendencies in myself when it came to uh things that were at least what i considered to be relaxing and leisure oriented mm. rather than things that would work because i would always mention i would say i mean my my interpretation of that has always been your obsession has been with acquiring knowledge and information and you kind of validate yourself with those things 
yeah. but continue but i mean there is there is i mean that's true to a certain degree because i think i've always managed to excuse or justify any sort of action you can mm-hmm. as long as there is something new that you're learning from it that you didn't know before as knowledge or learning oriented but i think this is why the word productivity is very interesting because yeah productivity means that it is necessarily oriented towards a certain goal my explorations into music or my passion for uh television shows or anime or whatever it is are not oriented towards any specific goal i can make up a goal of i want to watch all of the anime shows that are <laughs> well known out there or i want to know more about the history of music and about all of the different genres of popular music that have existed since the say the 1960s but those are somewhat arbitrary to what is primarily an activity that i engage in for pleasure and that's a, a relaxing leisure activity uh, it's not work per se and i i mean i've always thought of myself as a lazy person and as a procrastinator and that's just how i i know myself to be those things it's actually be very hard for me to be productive and to actually work and get things done uh it's been a struggle but over the past i would say year or maybe even couple of months even i've managed to get better at it and procrastinate less and be more productive um and i'm also because i've generally been someone who is worship leisure mm-hmm. uh, come to understand what the the bug is that that has bitten people like you or even uh you know our mother amma who uh, as a side our mother cannot just sit and relax for long periods of time and i don't that mean that in a bad way but she needs to be engaged in activity she's not someone who can have an idle mind and just sit and do nothing she needs to be constantly engaged and doing something and being productive mm-hmm. i put myself always in contrast to try and think about myself but like i'm saying with the the current internship and work that i'm doing because of uh i don't know i guess my own interest in what i'm working in and my own sort of personal motivation to to get things done and be productive and this sort of change in my own attitude and work that i i have felt over the past year or so uh i've seen that change hmm. in my own in my own pattern but again the backdrop and the context for this is that i've mostly been a very lazy person and i remember for the longest time i believed that uh what i want i i think was sometime when someone would ask me what is it that you want to be doing in the future you know people would say the kind of job or thing that they would do and there was a time when i used to have this very sardonic response of all i want to do in the future is leisure i want to be able to do nothing doing nothing is what i want to do for the rest of my life <laughs> yeah and of course that sounds ridiculous but that's really what it is that i want to be doing of course now that i you know went through college and have got more exposure to the world i know that you know there are a lot of problems in the world and there are some that i have decided to take uh, my attention to specifically for me interesting are uh the challenges of our energy system and environmental uh challenges such as global warming that I'm very interested in and i understand now what drives people and makes them so obsessed with work it's because they find some small thing that they're very passionate about and that's what drives them to be productive yeah it's funny that you say that this shift has happened with you because i've i think experienced a shift a little bit away from my prior kind of primary uh mode of defining productivity especially i think with the last 
three years in college, I've been very, very high functioning, both um, socially as well as around activities. Um, and being given a chance to reflect on it because of the pandemic has kind of led me to realize that I didn't, I never gave myself a break. There wasn't a lot of time to sit down, reflect, think about things, give myself time, spend time with myself, um, that kind of thing. And, I, and I'm starting to think about um, productivity as a concept that includes time to relax. So um, for me to be productive um, is to do maybe two and a half, three hours of work as well as spend an hour cooking food and eating it. Um, and right. so that four hours of productivity might only be three hours of work but it's still four hours of productivity because I need that break. Um, and I'm starting to think about it in this way, mostly because I realize that this obsessive tendency of mine, to a certain degree, sure, it might be admirable, but it's not necessarily healthy. Um, and breaks are important, especially if you want to be good at what you do to gain perspective, mm-hmm. to kind of get take space from something, come back to the fresh mind. Um, and that's true even with smaller examples, going back to talking about puzzles, I know you would go, you, you do, you do your puzzle for maybe four or five hours at a stretch and the next morning you'd suddenly hit 15 pieces um, that were right there um, that you didn't know of. And so I think a lot of these things around productivity as well, it's kind of a reset button concept um, that mm-hmm. I'm starting to acknowledge and recognize and come to terms with. Yeah, I think that's interesting because you're redefining to mean all the things that allow you to have a maximal efficiency uh, of output for whatever it is that you're doing while maintaining a healthy balance uh, between your, your I guess, nutrition, your mental health, uh, your social life and uh, sleep, I guess, as well as work yeah. to, to balance all of these things because only then will you be able to be working at your peak and doing everything while maintaining yourself at a level yeah. that is sustainable in the long run because I think burnout is a term that people will often hear when talking about uh, things like this and I also think there is perhaps a bit of stigma that I feel against the word productivity because I feel like it's a sort of in a sense like a corporate jargon that's used to uh, to find ways to incentivize people to work harder than they necessarily need to or want to yeah. uh, and that it's sort of a, a, I guess an outside pressure is necessary so for, for example what I've been describing previously uh, might be very rare where people are very passionate about their work and they push themselves to do it. I think it might be very different if what you want to do or your job and you don't necessarily align that way and that your motivations have to be external. Yeah. In those circumstances, productivity actually might be very difficult. And in fact, it might be hard to convince you that productivity is even a thing that can be self-motivated mm-hmm. without external incentives. Yeah, I think also, I mean, a quick side just to, is I think it's important to acknowledge how we're talking about productivity largely in terms of intellectual productivity and not physical productivity. Um, and right. to be able to talk about that is a significant privilege over people who probably have to just work in fields um, to feed themselves and don't have time to think yeah. about whether they're being productive um, or not and whether they can take a break and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there are people who still work in, in coal mines. Yeah, you know, exactly. Which is a, probably one of the most hazardous jobs that you could have on the planet. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but you know and they have you know hours like 12 hour shifts or whatever of Mm -hmm. mining deep down where there's no light or 
no you know anything so yeah. yes of course in in that context what we're talking about is a very i guess service sector oriented um you know very first world privileged kind of yeah. way of looking at what productivity in a workplace setting would be mm-hmm. um okay so now i want to move on to two linked concepts and you can decide kind of which one you want to attack first but i think they're very closely linked um and i've also been thinking about these two because i've always considered myself and in some ways i've been told that i'm a very ambitious person um and i've been wanting to think about the just in in terms of the conversation that we were having before right is that okay all of these rules exist all of these definitions of these things exist but now i want to i i feel like i've been trying to understand it and also redefine it for myself so that i'm able to operate within a better understanding of both ambition um and what i think is closely linked which is success um because mm. i've been thinking about how people define success and now this is a concept i mean we can get into the more philosophical of it because i don't necessarily mm. want to limit success to i've been increasingly reluctant to limit success to professional achievement um or such a thing you know the completion of a goal but that is how the majority of people tend to define it um and ambition tends yeah. to be kind of associated with the pursuit of that success um and so right. how do we how do you think about these two and then we can kind of go from there yeah i'm i'm going to start with a more so i think ambition is the more difficult and nuanced subject so i'm going to tackle success first i think success has been dealt with so many times because there are so many people who find themselves in um you know quote and quote dead end jobs and they feel like they're trapped and they're in their late 20s or early 30s and they want to do something else and they're like what is the meaning of all of this mm-hmm. what success actually means and they're trying to climb some kind of corporate ladder to go up somewhere and w- there are two you know sort of cliches that get thrown around when people ask themselves these questions about what does success mean the first is that it's the journey that's important and not the destination yeah. so you have to busy yourself with the progress and with the task itself rather than the reward that comes after mm-hmm. and any reward that does come you obviously are happy and you rejoice at it but that isn't the end goal right uh, you you have to think of the of the work as a means uh, not as a means to an end but as an end in, in and of itself yeah. so right so that's the first sort of cliche the second cliche would be um happiness is not defined by how much money you have and i think there are many people who've talked about there is a certain minimum amount of phys- physical well-being and material uh, wealth that you might need but beyond a point that curve doesn't go upward but it kind of flattens yeah. off what you need so after a certain amount of physical and uh, material well-being which admittedly not everyone on the planet has and that is uh, a sad fact but even if those people were to reach a certain level of well-being that wouldn't necessarily make them happy it would make them comfortable mm-hmm. it might make them content but it won't make them happy which is what i think success is often linked to i think success in in that sense would be more about finding pleasure in whatever job you do and you have to find it in things other than uh wealth and money first which because yeah. once you start going after only that you will soon realize that that's just a, a rabbit hole that never ends right uh and the second thing is uh, you have to orient yourself more towards giving back to other people and having a more um 
a less a, a selfless attitude towards success so it's something that you have to include other people around you rather than thinking of it as a selfish way of doing about mm-hmm. it and this is where i would pivot to ambition i think when people think of ambition as a negative connotation is when it becomes about a selfish mode of existence where all you care about is to make sure that you make it and that anyone right. else who gets in your way or tries to make it you're going to stomp them or make sure that they don't um get anywhere because of how competitive mm-hmm. things are and you know opportunities are limited and and so on and so forth um i do think ambition is an admirable quality and i do think that you have it um i have never necessarily thought of ambition as very negative mm-hmm. but that might be because uh i've never never really felt it or its negative effects if it does have any yeah i um, mean i think the only so, person ambition can end up being negative for is the person who is ambitious right and i think again yeah. that has to do with how what you're going after essentially because if you're going after making sure that the competition is eliminated it's probably going to end up hurting you once you get to the top of the hill because you'll be disappointed and dissatisfied um if your ambition is uh, i think positively tinged um you're the one who's going to benefit from it so yeah. i think that that's what it i think if you it. have ambition to mean uh, strongly motivated about mm-hmm. uh w- you know what and you know and they have a clear objective about what they want from life and about other things then sure you know it doesn't have to be a bad thing i don't think yeah. ambition in and of is is a bad thing just you know mm-hmm. as a, as a as a as a label for someone or yeah. whatever so uh i i do think it it's obviously good i i don't think however that glorifying ambition is necessarily a good thing i don't think yeah. it's a quality that we want to uniquely promote uh it's something that's useful and valuable in combination with other attributes like i've mentioned um you know such as um, a more you know community or uh sort of selfless attitude in terms of bringing up other people along with yourself yeah. while you're while you're rising as opposed to thinking of it as a a more solitary and selfish mm-hmm. uh way of achieving um success and also i think what might be difficult is if people who are ambitious have a one track mind and they kind of lose themselves in only going after whatever goal it is rather than once in a while just relaxing and taking a back seat yeah um and you know just um enjoying things and i think this is perhaps what the difference might be when you know people who live in the countryside versus people who live in the cities might experience <laughs> think people who live in the countryside are just chilled out in general they have relatively less ambition um i would say it's yeah. not that they don't have ambition it's just that their perspective in life is a much more holistic yeah. people who live in the cities um they're they they still have a very you know you go to work you do your job you come back you want to make enough money so that you can raise a family or do whatever it is and it becomes sort of this long list of things that you need to check off before you eventually die or whatever yeah. it is so yeah i i think ambition can't be the only thing that's in your a uh, tool of uh, things that you bring to life and it shouldn't be the only thing that that people say is great about you yeah i agree i think also we have kind of this the last couple decades have entered this you know thing of glorifying success in a way that is very closely linked to value you know economic value um which i don't think is necessarily healthy um mm-hmm. with all the time magazines 100 most whatever people rich people blah 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 you know that kind of glorification also i think is problematic um the last thing i wanted to say i guess on success was 
um as you were talking i was trying to think about how um to differentiate it and i think success that's founded upon setting goals for yourself um is healthy but success that's founded upon others set goals that are set for you isn't necessarily as healthy and you and i were talking about this right um in the context of how we spent these last couple of months doing work um and it i've always found it to be better for me when i complete a goal that i have set my mind to because i'm validating myself and i'm not depending on other people's validation for it um mm-hmm. so once i've completed the goal is still like okay now i have to set the next one as opposed to okay i can just wallow or kind of revel in my success um mm-hmm. and so it's both a combination of setting your own goals um or setting goals collaboratively with your superiors or whoever um and validating yourself at the end of it so that it's not leading to this cycle of um depending on social validation yeah uh i i completely agree i mean i don't have much else to add uh on to that uh except for i mean the last thing which you said was you know a social i mean it can become a vicious cycle if you're in a uh, a sort of a setting where everyone around you is thinking uh very in competitive terms mm-hmm. and success is defined in very narrow ways and generally in terms of wealth or just material terms as opposed to you know uh in a more holistic way that includes um i don't know things like eating well and sleeping well because i think that's part of success i mean i think people who sleep well uh that's a good sign of success you're doing great if you're yeah. able to sleep well and and every single night that's that should be enough yeah. in in a lot of ways uh <laughs> you know what more could you ask for yeah um cool. yeah I, i think that's that's really all i have all right then i guess let's go into the recommendations um do you want to go first sure um yeah i mean i've uh, i've been obsessed with sort of three albums that i've been rotating over and over but one of them has has been the one that i've been listening to the most which is deer hunters halcyon digest and it's a pretty well known indie album and from you know the 2010 it that era is the best era for indie music which is sort of where i find the best indie music that i listen to it's not you know underground or anything like that and in fact i tried to listen to the album before and this is my third or fourth attempt that i made to try and listen to it when it actually clicked um and sometimes it takes a while for a for an album you just have to be patient and willing to go back to it again and again it's been heralded as their you know magnum opus or whatever and i was like yeah sure i know when people say that it's normally their most commercially uh popular album it's not necessarily their best but i take it back uh <laughs> because i i literally listened to this album back to back multiple times in the past week sometimes even three times uh, in a row they've just they've they've managed to uh, master their combination of psychedelic indie and garage rock in such an interesting way and they managed to do it with such a nice uh, mix of songwriting uh, chops and just popular song form without going into i mean there are many other people who've tried to take the same few genres of psychedelic and garage rock mm-hmm. but no one has managed to combine it with um i guess you know indie and pop sensibilities so well yeah. they generally tend to become very nostalgic about the way they approach it and i think what deer hunter have done at least with this album it's it's 
it's fantastic so yeah that's my nice. suggestion uh cool mine is uh dominic fikes what could possibly go wrong um it's just uh to me obviously i fell in love with dominic fike i have a crush on him for sure um ever since i i watched that brockhampton video and um last summer i was obsessed with his um, don't forget about me demos this mm-hmm. summer i guess it's almost over but um, what could possibly go wrong is definitely going to be one of my albums um this year it's got the same unpredictability um as the demos um album but the ep but um mm-hmm. i don't know it's uh, one of the things i think that i want to talk about that calls out most to me is just this transition phase of a young artist um young as in not as young as a justin bieber or taylor swift they've had a weird kind of transition dealing with the mental health of just becoming an adult while they were um musicians but actually like remo drive second album and dominic fike second album um both made me very sad to listen to in some ways because a lot of the things that they they used to talk about in their first album and what they talk about in their second album um differ drastically in that they're discussing what it feels like in their lives now now that they're popular now that they're touring mm. um and it's much sadder um and yeah. i've been thinking a lot about how artists once they achieve fame um and still want to continue to talk about their lives end up talking about their lives and how it isn't the same and how they've let go of a lot of the same things and i think that brings a lot of perspective into just my life of how i who i want to keep close to me and what's really important to me at the end of the day yeah i mean i'm sure we can start a whole conversation about the the, the thing that you just touched upon <laughs> but i think this is again something that's become more apparent to me in recent years because of social media and how quickly people can go viral and become popular yeah it can happen much faster than it used to and i think that can really the the pace of it more than anything really affects artists and people who are starting out to just create their voice and sound yeah. and before they've even had the chance to put themselves out in the world they're already out there mm-hmm. and that can be really really difficult sometimes yep yeah i think with that um we can finish up this episode um do you want to do a social media plug yeah you guys know um, at the rate wo buddies b u d d i e s on twitter um we also have an email uh, wobody.podcast@gmail.com if you want to send us something we check it periodically um stay tuned we'll release one last episode a week from when you're listening to this hopefully um yeah and thanks for listening thanks for being on this journey with us yeah thanks everyone bye bye bye